Oh. Well, thanks for coming. Good night now. Um, if you could turn in your Bibles with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the Lord for His grace as, as we turn there together. Lord, You are faithful. Your Word says that even when we are faithless, unfaithful, You remain faithful, for You cannot deny Yourself. And Lord, we thank You for the faithfulness that You have displayed to us. We know that it gives us stability. We can look at in our past, no matter how long or short it has been in our walk with Christ, and see Your faithfulness. And Lord, that gives us hope for the future and our relationship with You. So Lord, as we open Your Word together, may uh, You just reveal Yourself and uh, teach us something, Lord, that you desire for us to learn and to apply to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we did go through Titus at uh, camp, and the theme of camp, as you saw in one of the slides, was grace for godliness. Um, I, I think probably the, the most famous passage within Titus is the couple of verses that we're going to look at and to break down a little bit. And... Um, this grace for godliness is, is going to be the theme of the message today as well. And so uh, let me read over the text and then we'll, we'll break it down. It's Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Titus two eleven. it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And what a wonderful uh, encouragement and teaching Paul had given us here through this letter to Titus. And we're going to break it down really into two, two points for grace for godliness. And the first point is that grace brings salvation. And the second point we will look at is that grace brings sanctification. And we'll talk about that word when we get there. First, grace brings salvation. Paul says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And, you know, grace is, is such an important concept for us to understand as believers. I'm sure many of you have heard different definitions or illustrations of grace. Um, and it's been told this way before, you know, while God's justice would give us what we deserve as sinners, those who have rebelled against God's holy law, his holy standard, God is a just God, he will bring justice against those who have rebelled against him. And that's what justice does. And his mercy, God's mercy would withhold from us uh, that uh, justice that we deserve as sinners. God's mercy, it's his compassion. He wants to reach into the lives of men and women and redeem them. Um, but these two things fall short in, uh, in, in light of our salvation. They are not able to save us uh, justice and mercy, but it's God's grace. God's grace seeks to give us what neither justice nor mercy can. It gives us the gifts we do not deserve as those who have sinned against God, namely salvation and the ability to live our lives for Him. In 1828, Mr. Noah Webster defined grace as this, appropriately, the free, unmerited love and favor of God, the spring and source of all the benefits men receive from Him. This grace of God, Paul says, it brings salvation. The Bible says that we have all sinned by falling short of God's holy standard. Many of you have heard this before. And it also says that the wages of sin 
is death. In other words, we've all been working really hard uh, to receive a paycheck of judgment. It's not too reassuring, is it? But in the same breath, in that same verse, the Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And you know, most people will work all their life and attempt to prove that they can make it on their own, only to find in the end that they are still a debtor to death and judgment. But some people will come to their senses and receive the free gift God has extended to us through Jesus Christ, and that is grace. And uh, as we talk about grace, you know, it's so important to receive God's grace in your life. I remember Jonah, I think it's Jonah 2.8, he said, uh, these people have forfeited the grace of God because they cling to worthless idols, the things in their lives that distracted them and came between them and their relationship with God. They forfeited the grace of God. Friend, don't live one more moment without trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for the hope of eternal life, the free gift that God has offered to us. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace that you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's a free gift. Pastor Ross often says he believes the sting of hell is that salvation all along was a free gift offered to men. And for eternity, those who have rejected God's grace and forfeited it because they've clung to worthless idols, whether it be their possessions or their relationships or their pride, whatever it be, came between them and God and they forfeited the grace of God and will uh, be eternally punished, the Bible says, because of their reluctance and um, rejection of the gospel of God. So friend, don't don't do that. If you're here today, just right from the right from the get-go, if you're here today, if you're visiting, God has uh, planned and purposed something for your life, and He wants it to begin with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And do not leave this place without starting that relationship, whether you're here and you're seeking the Lord, you're here and you're invited, you, you, you're not even interested maybe in the things of God or in church. Listen to what God has to say. It's a matter of life and death. Paul says that this grace, it brings salvation. This grace that brings salvation, it has appeared to all men. You know, it appeared in the life of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. From the fullness of His grace... We have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's in the Gospel of John. Grace is personified in the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us so that by faith in him we could receive eternal life, something we could never obtain on our own. This is grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. An easy way to remember what grace is all about. Paul goes on to make a point here, um, the second point that I'm afraid many of us in the church today uh, neglect when it comes to our understanding of grace. And that point is that grace not only brings salvation, blessed salvation, the the assurance of eternal life, but it also brings sanctification. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. 
Notice uh, that no one had to teach us to say yes to these things. That's a given. It's in our nature to be yes men to ungodliness. Our ears say yes to the opportunity to enjoy juicy morsels of gossip. Our mouths say yes to the opportunity to breathe complaint or slander. Our minds say yes to the opportunity to entertain jealousies and covetousness. Our hands say yes to the opportunity to embrace destructive actions and behaviors. And our eyes say yes to the opportunity to view sexually charged images. Being able to say yes isn't a problem. It's a given. But saying yes to ungodliness and worldly passions is a problem. It's a big problem. The Bible says everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. 1 John 2, 16-17. And the man who does the will of God lives forever, and it's God's will that we should be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. To be sanctified simply means to be set apart. It's just kind of a fancy theological word. It simply means to be set apart, no longer attached to the worldly passions and the things that lead us in rebellion to God, but completely separated from those things and wholly devoted to Him. That's what sanctified means. At the moment of faith, the moment of faith, the believer is sanctified once and for all positionally. That is, your position in eternal life has been secured. You come to know Christ personally. You have a relationship with Him. You have obtained the forgiveness of sins through faith in Him. You are sanctified. You are set apart. In other words, God looks at you and He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He no longer sees the stains and blemishes that are upon your life because of your testimony against Him. No matter how good you are, or rather you think you are, all have fallen short of the glory of God and have sinned against Him. And... We need the righteousness of Christ to cover our lives and to sanctify us, to set us apart from this world and to cause us to be devoted to Him. This is what sanctification does and this is what sanctification is. The moment you become a believer, you've become a saint. There are a lot of people out there who think that a saint is somebody who is especially holy. If you read uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, you'll find out really soon that Paul didn't think that way as he talks about the Corinthians. There was a lot of problems in their church. There were a lot of bad things going down. And Paul addressed uh, those things, but he also began the letter addressed to them as saints, those who have been sanctified by your faith in Jesus Christ. And so you've become a saint if you are a believer, which is a word for all believers, uh, not just for those who appear outwardly more holy maybe than others. So we are sanctified positionally, once and for all, with faith in Christ. But there is also a practical sanctification that takes place as the believer cooperates with the Spirit of God and obedience to, to the Word of God. And Jesus prayed to the Father. He said, My disciples are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. John 17, verses 16 and 17. How are we sanctified? How are we set apart? How do we live in obedience? It's by the word of God and through the grace of God. It's really simple. Maybe not always easy, but very simple. And we can do it with God's help. And so, you guys understand positional sanctification versus practical sanctification. 
practical sanctification says that we, we see the reality of who, who God sees us in Christ. He has sanctified us. He has set us apart. But we're also working towards that reality in our lives by cooperating with God and becoming more like Him. That's what godliness is. It's God-likeness. We want to become like God. And we do that through sanctification. And uh, so some of us are further in that process than others, but the goal is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and to run the race that's set before us, not before others. We have our own race uh, with, with uh, time against ourselves and towards the Lord. And so let's take that race seriously. It's all about the Word of God. Check this out. The Bible says, Through Christ and for His name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the nations to the obedience that comes from faith. That's Romans 1.5. Obedience comes from faith. And so does grace. We saw that earlier in Ephesians 2.8. It is by grace that you were saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And so, obedience comes through faith. Grace comes through faith. We also need humility, which comes through faith. Humility is a big gateway into the grace of God. God says many times in his word, Old Testament and new, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so humility combined with faith is going to give us grace. It's going to help us to be obedient to God's word. Friend, the answers are in the word of God. Right here. And the word of God is the, is the answer. Um... How do we receive grace? How do we become sanctified? How do we exercise godliness? It's simply through the power of God's word. This is how we learn to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You know, if, if not for the word of God, I would, I would still be in, in desperate, depraved, destitute, and whatever other bad D word you can think of. <laughs> Uh, in that condition, I was, you know, just over, over six years ago. I was living a life, like Paul talks about in First Timothy chapter 5, about uh, talk, dealing with widows, and this isn't directed specifically towards widows, but he said there are those widows who uh, are dead while they are still alive. That's how I was living. I was living for myself, I was living for pleasure, and I was living a destructive, depraved life uh, before the Lord and before the world. And the world was, was eating me up. And I remember, Pastor Ross mentions this every so often, but I remember sitting with him the first time I met with Pastor Ross. It was at Royal China, one of my very favorite places to eat. You should all go there for lunch today and say hi to Tina. She's wonderful. She's the owner. Anyways, chow mein. Good. We were sitting there, and uh, we, had, we had gotten lunch, and we ended up staying there after it, it closes between lunch and dinner. And so they shut the lights off, and it was just dark, and it was just us in there and a, a, few, uh, a few of the staff members that were eating during the break before they started the dinner program. And we were sitting there, and the lights were out, and it was dark, and I was sitting across from Pastor Ross, and he was looking at me, and he had this, this look on his face like, this kid's never going to make it. <laughs> I was... I wasn't. I wasn't going to make it. I was sharing things with him that, uh, about my life that were making him feel like there wasn't any hope for me. And, you know, um, some of the things that I, that I shared, some of the things of my past before I, I came to know the Lord, there was three major events uh, that happened that kind of led into, into me coming to know the Lord personally. But uh, one of those events was um, my brother 
about seven years ago, older brother with a wife and a one-year-old daughter, he committed suicide. And uh, we were really close, and nobody uh, suspected that that would ever happen. He was always happy outwardly. And so he committed suicide, and um, during that time and, a- and shortly after, my life was totally void of any meaning or purpose. And I was contemplating doing the same thing. In fact, my mind was so futile, my thinking was so darkened that I thought what he had done was an act of bravery. I thought that what he had done was noble. And I felt like I was weak and didn't have the courage to do the same thing that he did. These are some of the things that I was sharing with with Pastor Ross. I'd also had many relationships with girls, and I, I, uh, I ended up getting uh, one of my girlfriends pregnant, and that was as close to hell as I've ever been and hopefully ever will be uh, that time in my life. It was full of hatred and manipulation. Verbal and physical abuse. Police being called. Reports being taken, neighbors being unsettled. We, uh, we had a son, and we placed him for adoption, and uh, he's adopted into a, a wonderful family. It's an, it's an open adoption. And, uh, and then after that, um, time had, had passed, and those things were weighing on me. These, these things all happened within the, within the same year. Um, uh, a relationship that I, I was holding on to as the last stand for my life dissipated and and broke down and that was it and I just went into a bottomless pit of sorrow and self uh, really selfishness but self-pity and uh, these are the things I was sharing with Pastor Ross and because of people like Pastor Ross and other godly people who spoke into my life I was able to come to know the Lord and be revived in my spirit and the Lord quickened my spirit and he brought me to life and he did it through the word of God and it's only the word of God that can do this. Um, I was dead in my transgression, but God, through his word, made me alive in Christ. And it's his word that transformed my thinking. My thinking was so upside and down and backwards. I used to sing these parodies of country songs out in front of the, out in front of the bars to, to people who were uh, smoking because they couldn't be in the bars. So I'd open my guitar case and sing and play these songs. And, uh, you know, it was at the... At the time, I thought it was a lot of fun, but the songs were very, very crude and vulgar, and, uh, and people got a lot of laughs at them, and in the morning, I felt empty. I thought, what if, what if children got a hold of these songs, or what, you know, I was just, I was doing it to, to fill a void that could never be filled. My, my thinking was darkened. I was given over to a depraved state of mind, but it's the Word of God that changed my thinking. The Bible says, do not conform any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, 2. Friends, we have to be transformed by the word of God. If you are not letting the word of God dwell within you richly, as the Bible commands, then you are missing out, and other people are missing out. And you are off course. You, you are not living the life of abundance that Jesus promised and wants to give to you. Cling to the word of God and let it change you. Let it renew your mind and let it transform the way that you think and the way that you live. It, I promise you that it's, it's worth it.
<clears throat> we need to be in the Word of God. It's what uh, we want to be doing while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here Paul gives a shout out to the deity of Christ, and, and I know Pastor Ross likes to talk about the deity of Christ, and so do I. You know, he is God in flesh, 100% God, 100% man. He came into this life, and he added humanity to his divinity so that he could relate to us as our high priest. You can check that out in the book of Hebrews. And pay the penalty as a man that only an eternal being could pay. He had to be the man-God in order to relate to men and to pay an eternal debt that we owed God. And he did it as our high priest. He did it as the one who builds a bridge between us and God. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is God in the flesh. He appeared once and he will appear again, we see in this section and other places in the scripture. He appeared once and he will appear again for his church as the bridegroom and then to the world as its king. And you can read about these events in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13, 13 through 18 and also Revelation chapters 19 through 22 amongst other passages in the Bible. You know, Jesus gave himself for us, it says, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. But that's not it. Eager to do what is good. Our sanctification not only involves being separate from the world and its passions, it also involves the responsibility to grow in good works. We want to be rich in good works toward God. For we are created in Christ Jesus as God's workmanship to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2.10, right after the passage of, of, that tells us that we're saved by grace through faith. Grace is for salvation, and grace is for sanctification. Grace is for good works. Have you been saved by the grace of God? There's a lot of people coming to our church now, and it's wonderful to see everybody here. I think of the psalmist who said, uh, I was glad when they said to me, let us uh, go into the house of the Lord. And I love coming to church and meeting new people, and it's hard to keep up sometimes. But there's always new people coming in, and you come here maybe knowing or not knowing that you're going to hear the Word of God. And hopefully, through that Word, the Spirit is doing a work in your life. He's convicting you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the non-believer. And then once you receive Him, He comes into your life, and He starts cleaning things up from the inside, not from the outside. It's not a reformation. It's redemption. It's a revival. It happens from the inside. And the Lord, if the Lord isn't able to wash your life from the inside, any type of, of cleaning or purifying you do on the outside is never going to be good enough. It's not going to do anything. It's going to amount to nothing. And so if you're here and you're dwelling in self-righteousness, you think that you're going to get to heaven because of your good works, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be let down. It's only by the grace of God. It's only by the grace of God that men obtain salvation, not by our merit, but by the merit of Christ, the work of Christ. Have you been saved by the grace of God? Are you learning to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and yes to the Spirit and Word of God? Are you learning to do that? That's what grace teaches us, the Bible says, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. I look at Pastor Ross, and he's, he's been a believer for 30-something no, 30-something years for a, for a long time. And he's done a lot of counseling, and he's done a lot of uh, teaching of the Word. And I look at Ross, and, and 
I, I just imagine, uh, actually Hank and I were talking about this a long time ago, but I just imagine if there was a, a way to, to pull back the veil of, of the physical realm and look into the spiritual realm and see um, how everybody lines up spiritually in this world, you know, what people would look like. I imagine you would have a bunch of men who are macho and manly by the world standards in this life, uh, that veil pulled back and you would see a lot of puniness. A lot of people who didn't eat their spiritual Wheaties. <laughs> I look at Pastor Ross, and he might be unassuming in the world's eyes, but I look at him and I know if that veil was pulled back, you would see a mighty warrior of God. He is able to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And so are you learning to be able to say no to these things? It's so important. Don't miss out on the opportunity to take advantage of the grace of God. Do not forfeit the grace of God. Are you expectantly waiting for the return of Christ? We talk about the return of Christ and and it's an excitement, but sometimes we're so caught up in our daily lives that we don't realize that our motive for living needs to be the fact of the return of Christ. The Bible teaches over and over again that uh, just as he appeared the first time, he will appear the second time for his people. And if we believe the first promise that it happened, which it did uh, historically, then we can believe the second promise uh, even that much more because he's faithful to his promises. He is coming. He is the returning king. And we need to be ready. There's a couple of W words I taught in youth group. We, went, we just finished the book of First Thessalonians in high school ministry. And, and, you know, I just wanted to say real fast, high school ministry this season right now is so amazing. It's so awesome. The students, if I can get a shout out to them. The students in the high school ministry, thank you for making ministry easy. I feel like I can come to youth group, get a couple things set up, and just leave, and they'll be fine just all by themselves. <laughs> they'll be able to teach each other and encourage each other and, and be in unity. And so there's a really awesome dynamic going on in the high school ministry. Please pray that that dynamic continues and that we'll continue to be a light to those who come. We have uh, new students coming often and we want to be able to continue that momentum um, with those students as they're coming. But we're talking about the return of Christ. We finished First Thessalonians. And in every single chapter, the return of Christ is mentioned. In the first chapter, it's, it's mentioned in, in involving salvation. You better be ready. You better have obtained salvation through the grace of God because Jesus is coming back. It involves, in the second chapter of First Thessalonians, it involves uh, service. Are we working and serving the Lord as we expectantly wait his, await His return? Service has to do, the, the return of Christ has to do with our service. In chapter 3, it involves stability. The stability that we have in God because we have the knowledge that just as He was faithful to come and pay for our sins, that He will also come and bring His saints with Him uh, to be with Him forevermore. Amen. And so we, um, we, uh, we see that in First Thessalonians uh, chapter 3 that the return of Christ brings stability and, and in chapter 4 is where you it talks about the rapture and and we see that it has to do with sorrow we do not sorrow like the world sorrows because the the Lord is returning and he will not only raise those who have perished in uh, or who have fallen asleep Paul says in Christ he will not only raise those but we ourselves will be changed and and caught up with them in the clouds and so the Return of Christ involves sorrow, worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow. And also in First Thessalonians chapter 5, the return of Christ brings suffering. Because the return of Christ is going to be a judgment 
to those people who have failed to receive him as their Lord and their Savior. The Bible says, I I said this earlier, the Bible says that those who have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ will perish in everlasting punishment. If you have not received the forgiveness of, of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't go anywhere today without, without doing that. Do not be headed in that direction. Are you expectantly awaiting the return of Christ? It's very important. And also, do you belong to Christ with the evidence of good works confirming your profession? We're not saved by good works. The Bible teaches that clearly. But faith in God that, that, that provides the grace for salvation comes along with good works. We're supposed to be serving one another. We're supposed to be living our life as unto the Lord for one another through our works of service toward one another and toward those outside of the church that we might might be witnesses. This is God's will for us to do good works, acts of kindness. This is a, a spiritual obedience. The Bible says that we ought to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing before the Lord. This is our reasonable act of service for all that he's done for us to respond. That's what Christianity is. It's a response to the love of God. Not much different from, you know, these are pictures of our relationship with Christ from a marriage or from a family. We respond with one another. We dwell with one another in unity, hopefully. And we love one another. And this is God's desire for us in good works to respond to what he has done by showing that love and doing those things unto others. And so are you um, doing the things that the Lord has prepared in advance for you to do as a believer? Or are you in this way forfeiting the grace of God by squandering your life on other things, things that are temporary, things that are seen? The Bible says that uh, the things that are seen are temporary. They pass away. Just like we read, the world and its desires, they pass away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. They last forever. And the man who does the will of God lives forever. Are you doing the will of God in your, in your life? Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for your grace. Lord, your, your grace, it... It's hard to understand, Lord, why you would look upon us, those who have turned our backs on you and ran, those who have, by the testimony of our lives, slapped you across the face, stood by as you were being crucified upon the cross on Calvary's Mount. Lord, you you have lavished your grace upon us your love Lord thank you Lord for for finding a way to to meet the the demands of justice that are a part of your nature to exercise your mercy and your love Lord and to pour out grace upon mankind for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life Lord, you're so good to us. May we, Lord, cling to your word 
as the body and may we be unified, loving one another. This is how the world will know that we are your disciples, by our love for one another. Lord, may we seek to cover over the sins of others, to not be offended by uh, things that we feel we've been victimized by, Lord, but to realize that we're your workmanship and our identity is in you. And you've placed your name upon us so that we can live a life of freedom and of peace. And Lord, you, you've given us so much to be able to do these things. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to exercise the things you've taught in your word, that we may grow as the living body with its joints and ligaments, Lord, that we may grow and be a body who brings glory to your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we sing the closing song. You know, there's, there's many times, and maybe there's some of you uh, here today that uh, feel like this world and, and the enemy and the, the overcoming of, of your flesh and your sinful nature are bowling you over like that tankity tank tank. Well, God has, has something greater. He says, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And he has given us grace upon grace. God has given us gracity, grace, grace. And there's, there's no match. There's no match for God's grace. And, uh, just, just know that if you're, if you're going through it, you're struggling with trials and tribulation in your life, or you're struggling with the ability to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, the remedy is God's grace, and it's found in a relationship with Him, and it's found through abiding in His Word and letting it dwell within you richly. And I just want to encourage you with that and uh, let you know that God's got it all taken care of. He is the sovereign Lord and He just wants us to rest and relax and live in the knowledge of who He is and what He's done and in His nature, His character, and in His love and in His grace. Lord, we just thank You again, Lord, that You have, You've done everything. You've given us everything for life and godliness. You not only sent your son to pay the penalty that we could never pay and give us eternal life as we simply believe in him and receive the forgiveness that he offers, but Lord, you've also lavished us with love and blessings, Lord, abilities to serve in ways that are going to have an eternal impact. Things that may not seem big in the world's eyes. They might be foolish to the world. But Lord, they will be the things that last forever. Help us, Lord, to be investing our lives in those things so that on that great and awesome day we can stand before you confident and confirmed, Lord, when you say, well done, my good and faithful servant enter into the eternal rest I've prepared for you. Lord, we just thank you for that rest. And I pray, Lord, for anybody here who 
does not have the rest and the peace of God, Lord, that they might bow in humility and through faith that comes from hearing your word, receive the grace that you give, you guarantee to give to those who call upon your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friend, if you are burdened and heavy laden, please go to the cross. If you don't know the Lord and you want to know how, simple prayer. Lord, forgive me, a sinner. Go to the cross and and pray with people who will be waiting there to to pray with you and to encourage you. Um, And other than that, we'll see you at Home Fellowship Group night or next Wednesday or Sunday. God bless. Love you guys.